<clears throat> principle, the living hope that we have regardless, whether it be a shoulder injury or a, a heart injury or a, any kind of injury, spiritual injury, we have Jesus resurrected from the dead, amen? And therefore, there's so much hope that translates because a loss of hope is so discouraging. So thank you, Cassie, for sharing that, bringing our thoughts to how Jesus walked through that himself for us. Okay, if we could be turning our Bibles to the book of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and then if you want, you can keep a finger in the book of Numbers. Um, welcome to all of those who are not running the marathon today. Uh, I, uh, I used to do that kind of thing in my life. Uh, there's a Sunday where we used to move church to later because we were some, a number of us were running the marathon, and most of us have retired uh, from running. There's a few young people still, but a lot of us have a... I know I retired, and I don't know if it was just because of my foot injury or my knee injury or my hip injury or maybe a little laziness, but now I walk. Amen? All right. But... Um, Hebrews. Okay, so we are walking through the Old Testament, and we are studying the Old Testament with the, the mind or the eye toward this verse right here. Uh, Let the one who boasts, boast of this, that they understand and know God. They know that I am the Lord. Knowing God. Understanding, experiencing, and being able to reflect God to our world. That's our goal for this. And um, we have walked through, so far through uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Today, we're going to do the book of Numbers. And in a minute, we're going to be watching the Bible Project six-minute summary of the book of Numbers. If you don't know much about the Bible Project, I would encourage you to go on there. There's all the books, themes. It's really, really good stuff in video form. And these guys are kind of young and hip. And, and uh, uh, so it really helps bring a lot of uh, a kind of a broader, higher level perspective uh, on the scriptures and communicating the themes without getting caught up in the, in the verse by verse everything. So we're going to watch that and then I'm going to hone in on uh, knowing God's ways of fellowship and leadership as God moves his people from Mount Sinai uh, toward the promised land. So at this point we're going to watch the Bible Project um, on six-minute video on the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers gets overlooked partly because it has a really boring name, which is a shame. In the Hebrew tradition, the book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travel log about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot. But instead, it takes them about 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime. Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories. But let's remember, it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section, they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab. The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land. Now, 
Through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the surprising act of God's grace. So let's jump into this story. It all begins at the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and we've become really familiar with this mountain. Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt, and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here, and they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle, and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it, and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on. And this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is gonna be great. But it's not great. After just three days on the road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst, and then even Moses' brother and sister start bad-mouthing him in front of all the people. Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Two of those spies come back and they're really optimistic. But the other 10 are freaked out and they don't trust God and they go around saying, we're gonna get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny and they try to appoint a new leader who's gonna take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically they are refusing to go into the promised land and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness and only their kids will get to enter the promised land. You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors. Yeah, and, and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, he'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people that results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no, no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining and they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab, and the king of Moab, he's freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them. This guy means business. Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, okay, I'm gonna pray to the Hebrew God and let's see what happens. And three different times he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow gonna be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them. The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. 
They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the old generation behind, including Moses. But before they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about. This video is funded by 756. They end up basically saying they're a nonprofit, and if you want to donate, go ahead. So, amen. Um, boy, that's good stuff, huh? Uh, there's so much, so many good things in the Book of Numbers. It would we could do a whole a year on the Book of Numbers, but I'm going to just highlight a theme. Uh, having gotten an overview overview there, um, really found in Hebrew, the Book of Hebrews, chapter three tells us some of the things that we need to learn from the desert wanderings here, okay? So that's what we, we're going to learn, and we're going to fo- hone in on what is, when it says, what does God mean, what is godly and God-centered fellowship and leadership? Both are really highlighted in the book of Numbers and uh, what God means and what God's ways are. This comes from Hebrews chapter 3. Let's read in verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here, the Hebrew writer is saying, what happened in the desert, what happened during the days of the wanderings, was they were testing me. And the reason they strayed is because they did not know me, and they did not know my ways. That's why we're doing the whole year on knowing God, because we want to be obedient, but we, we want our obedience not to come from outward uh, pressures, but we want to come from an inner knowing of God, amen, and a knowing of His way. And we learn here, particularly in the book of Numbers, that what God means when He says, follow me, He means follow me. So what He means by the, His ways of fellowship, and when leadership, when, if, whenever God's people are moving, there needs to be fellowship, there needs to be leadership. And so God is very demonstrative about what he expects of Moses and all, and all the leaders in the community. And that's what we're going to hone in on uh, this morning, amen? Knowing God's ways of fellowship and leadership. Now, two people said, I don't like this word fellowship. One said he didn't like the word. Another said that's an um, error or a typo. And actually, it's not a typo. And actually, I like the word, and I'm preaching, so I'm going to uh, talk about fellowship today. Uh, but uh, uh, it is a word that's kind of different. We know we hear leadership all the time, right? But we don't hear about fellowship very often. But I would say to you that fellowship could be as or more important in the scriptures than leadership. You don't hear that very often, but let me explain why. Um, fellowship from businessdictionary.com says this a willingness to accept direction and guidance from leaders in an organization. An employee who, practice, who practices fellowship recognizes that any effective organization needs both leaders and followers. 
Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy said, to excel at leadership, you must first master fellowship. And so what we find in, in the ways of God is that you don't have leaders and followers and they're separate. Every single person is first a follower, right? As Jesus himself followed the Father, followed the ways of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he calls the first leaders, the apostles, what does he call them first to do? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? So we have to learn about leadership. We also have to learn about fellowship. And none of us can be like, well, I'm just a leader. I don't have to follow. You just made me super nervous. Okay? And none of us can say, well, I'm just a follower. I don't need to lead. That's also false. We are all called to lead it in various ways. So all of us are called to be followers first, and then from that posture and position, exercise appropriate leadership. So typically I would like to start with, let's talk about leadership, because I would preach about how the leaders need to follow God. But actually, let's talk first about fellowship, and that will set our hearts, and then we can move on to, from that posture, leadership. Okay, so knowing God's ways of fellowship. From Mount Sinai, God had a destination in mind for them. Where did he want to take his people? He wanted to take them to the promised land. In order to get the people to the promised land, there needed to be leadership and fellowship. Okay? God taught the community about these three things and many things, but I'm going to hone in on these three things about fellowship. Let's look in Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. He taught them in fellowship that God is central, that every person counts and is accountable, and he taught them to strongly support the leadership of God and of his human leaders. Okay, so Numbers chapter 9 in verse 15. So, so the tabernacle came and it was central. It was central in the camp, and that's the first part of fellowship is the centrality of God in the presence of God, okay? And so, but, and so you had the tabernacle in the camp, but whenever the camp moved, do you remember what happened? What happened to, to signify that the camp, it's ready to move? The pillar of cloud and the fire, which everyone could see, not just Moses, everyone could see the leadership in the centrality of God. Let's read here in verse 15. Now, on the day of the t- that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Let's skip down to verse 23. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. This is so cool, guys. This is God, listen, say, listen. I am central here. I'm central in my community. This is my community. 
And I'm central. So the setting up of the, wasn't that cool? The setting up of all the camps and the Levites were interceding between the, the presence of God, the hot spot, so to speak, in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. And there's a, there's a whole lesson about priesthood and what that means. But in the New Covenant, it's not just uh, the, the full-time ministry that's the, the priesthood. The whole fellowship of believers is the priesthood, amen, between the world and God himself. Okay, anyways, you have the priesthood and the go-between there with the Levites and then all the things. So when it's time to go, the cloud gets up and everyone can see it and moves forward. Okay, and then at night, as long as it's moving forward, the camp moves, it's time to go. And when it's not moving, it's time to stop, okay? And you have a community in step with one another. And this is the community being in step with the Spirit. Does that ring a bell? Being in step, following, stay, sticking close to. Okay, so the first way of God's of fellowship is the centrality of God. Fellowship is not centered in human leadership. Super important, guys. Fellowship is not centered in human leadership. Fellowship is centered in God's leadership. Amen? God's presence in the middle of the camp, God's presence in the cloud, God's presence in the fire. We all see it and we all follow together. We go where God leads and we do what God says. Amen? The church is built on the word of God, not the human leader. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Now, do we have human leadership? Yes, of course. We'll get into that in a minute. But we can't skip to human leadership before we talk about God's leadership, Jesus' headship. So if the Bible says it, we, we do our best to do it and to listen. If the Bible says don't do it, we got to not do it. Okay? What's the message today? I didn't think through of, I think this will be a good message. The message has to be what God's, the message of the Word of God is. So we don't make up, let's do a year's worth of, no, we go through the scriptures as far as what we're going through this year, right? And we figure out what it means, how to responsibly interpret it and apply it to today, okay? So the centrality of God's leadership. Secondly, every person counts. Every person counts counts. The book of Numbers, they did a census. Now, some of us like numbers. Some of us don't like numbers, okay? Uh, I have an engineering background. I love math. I love numbers, okay? Um, but, what, but the reason God is into numbers is because every number represents what? A person. And so people... God counts people because people count. Amen? And every person counts. In the New Testament, New Covenant, we see the parts of the body, the analogy of the body, and every part is essential to the body. Not, it's human nature to think that some parts are more important and us part, other parts are less important. And the way of God is like, no, every part is equally important. And we like that message, amen? We like to be like, hey, I'm needed. I'm useful. We want to feel that, right? So every part counts, but there's also another side to that. Every part is accountable. Mm. Who loves accountability? In our human natures, we really like the idea of no accountability. 
in our flesh, right? I can just do what I want and go where I want. And this is our, the, the human nature's tendency to stray that we see all through this. That's why it's called wanderings in the desert is because we tend to wander. I tend to wander, right? You tend to wander. And so we need accountability. Every part counts and every part is accountable. In the book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy, it goes through this t- tribe of Levites. You're, you're, this is your part. You guys do this part. This tribe does that part. Let's count all the firstborns. And there was, there was, it was like 22,367 firstborns. And the Levites were to, instead of sacrificing the firstborn, the Levites, uh, um, God said, you know, the, the, I'll take the Levites as my own. And there was 22,000 of them, so they were 367 short. So don't think that God just viewed the whole Israelites as just one mass of the people. No, God does see the people, but he also sees each individual. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing about the vastness of God and the finiteness of God? The finiteness, that's a bad word. The, the microscopicness. Is that a bad word too? You guys know what I'm trying to say? What's the word? The detail. That's my, that's my son right there. Okay. The detail of God and the massiveness of God is just amazing. Okay? So every part is important and every part is accountable. Listen, Jesus said a good shepherd, right? He knows the difference between 99 and 100 of his sheep. He says you leave the 99 and you go after the one. That's why he would just, we're about 100. He would just look around and he's like, you know what? I'm counting today at church and there's one missing. So I love all y'all, but pray together. I'm going to look for the one. Pretty cool, huh? Why? Because that one sheep counts. Every part counts. We think that we're just a mat. We think that we're lost. In the... I remember going from a small school. I grew up in Plainview, Minnesota, and there were 63 kids in my graduating class. And guess where I went to college? I went to the University of Minnesota, where there was literally, I'm not exaggerating, about 63,000 Okay, and it's it's like well, I don't want to just be a number. I'm like, you know what? I don't mind being a number. I think my dig- school student number was nine four one one oh nine whatever. It's just like scraped on your back or something. No, it's not true. But uh, um, but the point is that every every individual is important, and we like that. But therefore, every individual is accountable. Okay, and Jesus. Knew the difference between 99 and 100. Okay, and lastly, as far as fellowship, as followers, we're to offer our strong support. Our strong support of God's leadership and human leadership. Now, this is, this is where as a, as a human leader in our church, this is a bit of an awkward message to communicate. And I'm gonna, that's why I want to be very careful to communicate it because it's actually super important. Let's look at, over at Numbers chapter 11. Verse 1, there's a time and place where we need to not support our human leaders, and we'll talk about when that is, but our heart needs to be in chapter 11, you see very quickly a culture of complaining and grumbling 
start to seep into the community of God. It says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So how did God, what do we learn about fellowship from God? God is not real high on complaining. I think we get that message, right? We get to know God and know the ways of God. God's not big on complaining. Let's just read on. Verse 4, the rabble. <laughs> wow. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. This is where our complaints typically come from. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt. Free? Really? Was it free? There wasn't a whole lot of free going on in Egypt. But how quickly we forget what we've been enslaved to in our past. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the ranch dressing and the blue cheese, and the shore lunch, beer-battered fish, and, yeah, the tacos. Um, and, mm, I mean, I'm, I'm with them right here. Like, I, I love good food. Anyways, these, uh, these peoples had been to the Moose household for, for dinner, uh, or the Schultzes. But now... Our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Okay? Boy, it's, isn't it? I'm just shocked and amazed in, at myself at how quickly I get discontent. Are you with me there? How quickly my mind goes toward what I don't have instead of what I do have. You know, the Bible here, this is just the start. If you look through the book of Numbers, this is, this is the, the, the seeds of complaining, turning into grumbling, turning into criticalness, turning into, and it's not just the followers, it's Moses, it's Miriam, it's Aaron, it's the leader. It's the, it's, it becomes a part of the culture of the people of God, this spirit of ultimately um, showing itself in out-and-out -out rebellion and then God's response. Over and over again, God is cursing the rebellion, cursing the, dis cursing the grumbling and the complaining. Um, Moses, and Moses uh, grumbled at the people. Aaron and Miriam grumbled at, the, at Moses. The priest grumbled at their... Korah in his rebellion grumbled at the leadership of Moses and Aaron and so on and so forth. The ten spies of the twelve sent out grumbled about, these people are too big, we look like grasshoppers, we can never do it. God just brought us in the desert to die. The people are stirred up constantly into a spirit of criticalness, grumbling and uh, complaining. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, if you grew up in my house... You've, you've memorized this verse because it literally was preached at you 
uh, almost every day. You know, there's blessings to be a preacher's child. There's also curses. But it's actually kind of a blessing. But Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. This version says disputing. Oh, what it does. What does it do to a home? Parents, can I get a witness from the congregation? Who loves a home with just kind of complaining? What are we having for dinner tonight? Oh, we're having chicken tacos. Oh. Well, I like beef tacos. Well, how's that go over? I'll, I'll send you for some beef tacos, right? <laughs> uh, or or uh, uh, just complaining, arguing, grumbling, whining. Where's my this? Where's the, can you bring this to school? I forgot. And it's just like the tone. And this is, I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about dad. Uh, where's the, you know, where's the this and that, and oh, my back, and oh, my foot, and my head hurts, and uh, uh, give me some peace and quiet, it's my rest day, you know, and, you know, turn the Vikings game on, all oh, the Vikings lose, and it's just like whiny, whiny, and it's this, it's, it's nasally, right, you know, it's just like, stop! Okay, that doesn't go well, how's it work in a marriage? I've got a list of all the things I'd like to complain to you about today. All the things you could do better. I actually knew a husband once who, 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 did, who literally wrote out a list and brought it to the wife. Clearly he was a young married man about all the things he wanted her to change. I was just been thinking about our marriage. Here you go. Now, here's the miracle of miracles. They're still married. Yeah. <laughs> it's no one you know. It's not even here. No, no one in, in our church, so don't try to guess who, who it is. But note to self if you're married, not a good idea. So Philippians 2.14, Hebrews 13.17 says, Actually, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. See, every part counts and every part is accountable. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. You know, we, we try to teach our kids, whatever leaders they have in life, they're teachers. Make that teacher's work a joy. You go in there, you listen, you ask questions. Uh, you, if they tell you to do it, do it the first time, okay? Uh, you're going to have lots of coaches over time, Okay? Listen to the coach. Don't argue with the coach. Carter and I had an experience one time where I was coaching, and, and he was, uh, at that moment, Carter overall was incredible joy to coach. But there were a few moments where I'll just confess his sin for him. It wasn't that way. <laughs> one of the curses of being the preacher's kid. But it was, we, were, he was, we were literally arguing in, in practice, and he was telling me how to do the drill better. And I said, Carter, one of us is going to leave this practice if you don't stop. And I hate to say it, I, as much as I would like to, it can't be me. <laughs> and uh, we, got, we had great talks about making our leader's job a joy. You know, our, our bosses, making their work a joy. Who's a boss in the crowd? It's fun, right, to have workers have... 
it doesn't take long to think about what this does. Yet our culture, we live in an outrage culture. Facebook, everything is complaint, 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 complaint. And it's just, it, it seeps into our minds and our, and our hearts, right? And all we can do, we can't even hardly listen and, and be in a community anymore. All we can do is think about what's wrong and what needs to change. Are you with me? And so this is tough. Now, let me say this. Qualifier, okay? And, and at, at the end of this verse, it says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. Who ultimately paid the price for the grumbling? God was like, it's your choice. It didn't affect, it, God, it broke God's heart, but ultimately it was the grumblers themselves. Korah's rebellion swallowed up by the earth. The ten spies dead on the spot uh, in all of their family. All, all of this grumbling, complaining, the whole generation didn't get into the promised land. Man, that's intense, isn't it? And we got to really learn. So what, are the, what do we do if a leader is leading a direction that's sinful? Should we just not grumble and complain? No, the Bible gives us answers to that. What if, we're, if the leader leads a direction that's either sinful or it compromises your conscience? Do not follow. Amen? Do not follow, and that's important. Because remember, what's central in our fellowship? God. So we follow God first and foremost. Amen? So what do we do? We, we talk about it. We bring it up. We say, I'm concerned about this. Um, if you do have a concern or a question about your Bible talk leader, what should you do? Just bury it and because and, you don't want to grumble or complain? No, you bring it up respectfully, humbly. and says, I have a concern. Can I ask about this? That leader loves you for that. Amen? And if they don't, then they'll be removed eventually. Um, bring it up with the leader. And I'm not joking about that. We'll get to leadership in a second. Because God is harder on any leader than first and foremost. But if you've got a concern or a question, you must bring it up. Humbly, respectfully, and ask questions. Because it could be the Spirit's concern that they're not seeing. Amen? It could be a Bible concern. And the leader is responsible to God and to obeying God. And if there's things they're not obeying God in, they need to hear about that. They may be oblivious or not unaware, or they just may be in sin. And they need accountability. So we've got to bring it up. But there's two ways to bring it up. I got a complaint, dude. That's usually not the best way. Best is, hey, can I talk about something? Amen? Are you with me there? Okay. Um, but let's offer our strong support. But if, if there's godly leadership and there's spirituality in the leaders and they're not asking us to sin, they're not asking us to compromise our conscience, then we can trust that God is leading. And as we all follow God together, even if we don't agree completely, we can get behind and follow. Amen? Okay, now let's talk about godly leadership. God has a destination in mind, amen? And that's the promised land. And so in order for the community to get there, we need followers and we need leaders. Now, Moses was not the only leader. Aaron was a leader. Miriam was a leader. Joshua and Caleb were leaders. God had set up leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, all the way back in the book of Exodus. Each household had its own leadership. Um, Balaam, who was not even a, a Jew, 
was a leader as far as communicating God's message. Uh, Phineas was a young man. He was a leader. Uh, Korah also was a leader. The ten spies were also leaders, but they led in the wrong direction. Let's choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Remember that? Okay. So there's all kinds of leadership. And I think that every one of us is a follower and every one of us is a leader. You can't get out. I would just rather sit back and, and have someone else lead. Listen, Moses tried that, remember? Moses tried to pull that one, send someone else. I would much rather just sit in church than to preach a lot of times. But someone's got to preach, and God has called me to do this, okay? So I, I need to do what God tells me uh, to do. Um, but uh, um, getting out of leadership when you're called to have an influence, God is, no, that's not, that's not going to work, okay? Um, so God taught about leadership in these areas. Number one, again, the centrality of God. Leadership doesn't start with human ingenuity, human ideas, human talents, humanism. Leadership starts with the centrality of God. The presence of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, even Jesus himself. In John 5, 19 says, I only do what I see my father doing. And to the apostles, he said, don't worry about to say what to say, for the spirit will tell you what to say and how to say it. Do you see the centrality of God? Even in Jesus, who was God, who could just say, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because I'm king of kings. No, I only do what I see the Father doing. Fellowship first and then leadership. Humans centered on and in God lead from God as the center. You know, it's very interesting in, as Moses transfers to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and 2. All the people say, Joshua, we will follow you. We will offer our hearts in full support. Matter of fact, if anyone doesn't listen to you, we'll kill them. Okay, that's how much uh, fellowship was going on. A little intense. Um, not condoned for our, our day and age. Amen. Um, but they said one thing, Joshua, just one thing we, we want to make sure of. That God is with you as God was with Moses. So all I really care about is that you're with God and that God is with you. And if God is with you, we're with you. We need to respect human leaders but not revere them. Big difference. We need to respect our leaders, our coaches, our teachers. They're serving you, okay? Too much bad-mouthing about teachers and coaches. And I'm not saying they're leading out of God's center, but just careful, careful with how much spewing we toss around. Are we complaining and grumbling when we necessarily, it's maybe not necessary, okay? Um, leaders, number one, are centered on God. Number two, are accountable. I want to listen to how God held his leaders accountable here in the book of Numbers. Moses struggled with anger. A lot of times he did well, but he gave over to his anger. Instead of speaking to the rock for water, he hit the rock twice with uh, the rod. Okay, he hit it twice. He was angry. He was frustrated with the people. Moses was held accountable. God said, I love you, I'm with you, but you're going to have to pay the price for that because I'm a just God and I show no favoritism. Um, Miriam, an incredible leader, 
We see her song, right, in the book of Exodus. And yet, she got critical of Moses and led Aaron in criticalness. And she was leprous outside the camp for seven days. God loved Miriam. God was with Miriam. But God held Miriam accountable for her sin. Aaron struggled with weakness. He was a good speaker, but he would let the will of the people overcome the will of God. Remember the bull that just came up out of nowhere? Okay. Aaron led also his family. His two oldest sons ended up being killed because he was a weak leader and did not teach them the reverence for God. And so Aaron was held accountable for his leadership weaknesses. The ten spies who led the people astray, they were accountable. Every So here's an important point, and then we'll be done. Listen, God uses human leaders to serve his people. Are you with, That's true, all the way. But listen, every human leader is human. And human means sinful and broken. And there's a big problem we have when either we disregard human leaders or we idolize human leaders. Every human leader, every human organization, which the church is, is full of sinners. Okay? And therefore they make mistakes. Moses, King David, mistakes. Accountable for their mistakes. Right? Peter made mistakes, accountable. The Apostle Paul, accountable, right? But human leaders are human. And we've got to be able to have accountability around our leaders. Amen? But then we also need to have a lot of grace. And we've got to have both. Well, should it just all, all truth and no gray or all just grace? We just overlook all kinds of sin? No, we don't overlook our sin and our leaders. That's not godly. But we also don't pull back our hearts when we see weaknesses because we got to understand that God is our primary leader. Amen? And I just want to share with you, uh, I have seven rings of accountability around me as a, as a leader. My family holds me accountable. My, the church holds me accountable. The staff holds me accountable. The core leadership group holds me accountable. The board of the church holds me accountable. The upper Midwest group that we're a part of holds me accountable. And the Midwest group holds me accountable. What's that mean? That means I'm a really struggler. I'm a chief of sinners, right? And I need a lot of accountability. And that's right. The Catholic Church is reaping the consequences of not having accountability for the priests. It's, the sin is horrible. It's terrible, right? And it grieves. It, we don't, I don't look self-righteously at that sin. He who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. So I don't say this in self-righteousness. It's heartbreaking. And it's terrible. But the, but the cover-up is worse than the crime. And the cover-up is inexcusable. So that's why we must have leaders in our church, a culture of accountability, amen? And involved, deeply involved in one another's lives. Just this past week, this past week I talked to 
A.T. Arneson in a very deep discussion who leads all of, he's the leader of our Chicago church and leads all the Midwest. And we had a talk about how he's doing and about how I'm doing with a certain very important topic, accountability. On Thursday, I met with the upper Midwest leaders, Colin Sherrill, John Lusk, Michael Burns in Albert Lee, Minnesota, and we all held ourselves accountable. We didn't talk about, we talked about how are we doing? How's our purity? How's our integrity? Are you with me there? Accountability. And then I come back, and Friday morning, I get with the core leadership group, and it's like, let's, how, how's everyone doing? And I shared, here's how I'm doing. And they know what's going on in me. The good, bad, and ugly. Amen? And so I think we, 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 we always need to keep growing, but I'm, I'm proud in a right way to say we hold our leaders accountable, starting with yours truly. Amen? And so we're trying to avoid the darkness that an unaccountable leader will always head into because he's simply human. Okay, I got a whole other point, but I need to be done. Amen. What's the overall message? This can kind of, numbers can kind of be discouraging because it's like, dude, wow, that's intense. But Hebrews frames it. Let's go back to, to Hebrews. Hebrews ends with what we should take. We should take warning from humans' nature to wander. But we must also take comfort in this is why Jesus is here. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another today, or excuse me, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you, no follower, no leader, no, no person that counts, will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Therefore, because we're warned by the, this book of Numbers, let's see to it. Let's see to it that in our culture, we know the difference between 99 and 100. Amen? And we see to it that no one is, not, not that they don't sin, but that they're not hardened by the deceitfulness and the cover-up of sin. Amen? And to encourage, therefore, one another all the more and ultimately know that we have exactly what we need, the mercy and the grace of Christ. Amen? The book of Numbers. Amen, amen. At this point, Megan's going to come up, and she is going to give us contribution. And Well, she's going to not give us contribution. She's going to lead our time of offering and then have some announcements.